This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. With us. We're going to continue this morning in a series we began a couple of weeks ago. And uh, you're going to be opening your Bible up um, to Philippians chapter 3, where we left off last Sunday. Um, the, the series is entitled The Church in the Vice. And we're using, we got the idea of vice from the Greek word in the New Testament that we're going to see a number of times this morning, that sometimes is translated tribulation. Sometimes, as we'll see it this morning, it's, a, it's translated affliction. But it's a Greek word, thlipsis, and it means to put pressure on. And so something's in a vice and the pressure is tightening and tightening. I believe the church in the 21st century, the evangelical church in America, is becoming part of in, inside that vice. Now, churches in other countries have been in that vice for a long time. We're entering that period of time, uh, I believe, uh, as a country, as a nation, as a culture. I want us to begin reading the, the scripture that's kind of the theme for the entire uh, series. Let's read it together. I want to challenge you over the next six weeks to memorize this verse. We'll say it every Sunday, but I want you to work on it through the week. Write it out on a piece of paper. Put it up somewhere where you'll see it and, uh, and memorize this verse because I believe it's going to become in the days ahead a great encouragement to you. Let's read it together. Read it with me. We are pressured in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. And that word pressured in that verse is this word that we get the idea of vice. Last week in Philippians 3, we saw how the Apostle Paul told the Philippian church that even though they were citizens of Rome, And even though they were citizens of the city of Philippi, a Greek city in which they lived, he said, even though you have citizenship in those places, Christ has given you a new citizenship in heaven. And that is where your citizenship lies. He said in verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly await for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you might stop and say, was this written written before Jesus came or after Jesus came? And of course, it's written after Christ came and died and rose again. But he says, and this may be unfamiliar to you, he says, we wait for the Savior to come from heaven, Jesus Christ, because he's coming back. Paul says, we're waiting for that moment, for that return of Jesus Christ. Now, just before telling them that he showed some, telling them that their citizenship was in heaven, and I'm just doing a little review from last Sunday, he showed some major differences in the values of our heavenly citizenship and the citizenship here on this earth. In verses 18 and 19, let me read there if you're there with me. For I have told you often, and now say again with tears, that many live... In this earth, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their stomach. Their glory is in their shame. They are focused on earthly things. And he made it clear in those verses, I believe it's crystal clear, that Christians, we ought to be looking at life differently than non-Christians. But before that, before he said those things, he gave them a picture of what the values of our heavenly citizenship 
look like. And he said in the first part of the chapter, he says things like, don't put your trust in yourself. Paul goes and recounts his own life and all the things he had, he had worked for and all the, um, the acclamations that had been made about him, all the honors he had received. He was, he was the up-and-coming rising star in his culture of Judaism. He was the hero of the day. And he said, but you know, you know none of that counts anymore. I don't even look at that anymore. I've considered that to be rubbish, to be garbage, to be dung, he said. So don't put your trust in yourself as many times we're tempted to do. It's not about me. It's not about who I am. It's not about what I've done. He says it's all about Christ. And then he said, then he told them and goes on, he says, because following Christ brings us a new set of values. When you become a Christian, I mean, really, when you become a Christian, not when you start going to church, not, not, you know, maybe going through rituals. It's not about that. When you become a Christian, when you have put your faith in Christ and you have a new birth, life is no longer life as usual. It's no longer the same old, same old. Your values begin to change. And it's a change that happens from inside out. Where's, where are Mark and Sue Burns? Where's Mark and Sue? You're in here somewhere. Where are you? Way over there, in the back in the corner. And um, Mark and Sue, they've, they've moved away from us, but they lived here. They were led to Christ here in Nags Head, followed Christ in baptism in the sound. And, and, and you know, you can, if you want to talk about changes that happen in people's lives, talk to Mark and Sue. Because I know people that knew Mark and Sue before Christ. They have told me some things. Let's just say Mark and Sue were the local party animals here in Nagset. True? All right. And now they're sold out to Christ. Now the Lord has changed their lives. It's awesome to see what's happened. I'm, I'm glad you guys are here today. And to thank you for, we, we miss you. We wish you were here again. Please come back. He changes us from the inside out. We used to sing a chorus when I was a teenager back in the olden days. And the chorus said, the things I used to do, don't do them anymore. There's been a great change since I've been born again. And that's because our values, when we become a Christian, our values become, become Christ's values and not everyone else's. And those values, all Paul said, they all point to Christ. He said, I want to know him. I want to gain him. I want to be found in him. I want to have righteousness through faith in him. I want to know, Paul said, the power of his resurrection. Those are great values, great goals that Paul spoke of. And we read them and we hear them and we say, I like that. Boy, those are so noble. That's, that's exactly what I long for in my life. They're great theological truths to live by and accept that I'm in Christ and that gives me a sense of security. Those are good things that Paul said to live by. And then he changed gears, shifted gears big time. And he explained that these citizenship values of being a Christian, and he says, and it goes from, from these lofty theological security-infused things, gaining Christ, knowing Christ, being found in Christ, power of his resurrection. He said it goes from those things to something extremely sobering because Paul continued on, and he said, I want to know the fellowship of Christ's sufferings. Paul said, I want to see my life being conformed to Christ's death. 
So often we want to, we want to talk about that abundant life that Jesus brought. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about, the abundant life, abundant. Plenty of it, that's what I want. He said, I want to be conformed to his death. This, his hope, Paul's hope, was to be part of the resurrection from among the dead, that moment when the trumpet of God is sounded and Christ calls from the graves all who have their faith in him. And suddenly Paul is, is saying now, he said, listen, citizen, citizenship in heaven might not be a pleasant, comfortable journey for you. It might, it very well may be, and Paul expected it in his own life. It may very well include suffering and maybe death from that suffering. But if it does, Paul says, we should not run from it, but welcome it. Another guy who knew a lot about suffering for Christ in the Bible was the apostle Peter. He, he was jailed and he was beaten early on after the beginning of the church in Jerusalem. And legend has it that, that Peter was crucified in the city of Rome, but he was crucified upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to die the same as my Savior did. We don't know if that's true or not, but it's a good story. It sounds like something Peter might have done. I want you to listen to his words. You can turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, page 1115. If you're using the Bible, it's in the chairs or under the blue chairs. And I would encourage you to have your Bible open. We're going to read a lot of Scripture, so it's not, most of it's not going to be on the screen. So get your Bible out. Turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3. I'm going to begin reading in verse 13. He writes to these first century Christians who live under Nero. You ever hear of Nero? Not a nice guy. The emperor of Rome. And he writes to them and he says, and who will harm you if you are deeply committed to what is good? Who's going to do that? But even if you should suffer for righteousness, you're blessed. You know, most people, he says, don't harm people who are doing good things. You know, they're glad to see the good things that you do. He said, but I understand that's not always the case. He said, you're blessed. And he's remembering Jesus' words that Peter heard with his own ears at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, during the Sermon on the Mount about being blessed. Blessed are the so forth and so on. And, and he remembered those words and he said, you're blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Or be disturbed, but honor the Messiah, honor Christ as Lord in your hearts. Lord means the one who has control, the one who owns me. See, as a Christian, I don't own myself. The Bible says, Paul wrote, and he says, you're bought with a price. I become his. Honor Christ as Lord in your hearts. Then he goes on, he says, always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. I don't think he was talking about screaming at people, standing out on street corners and hollering at people we disagree with and condemning them to hell and calling them names. I think this was something else. Give a defense to anyone who asks you, why, why, do, why do you believe like you do? Have you ever had people ask you that? If you haven't, maybe it's because they have no clue what you believe. If they have no clue what you believe, why in the world is that? However, do this, again, with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear, so that when you are accused, accused of doing wrong, when you're accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. Why? Because there won't be any evidence against you. You won't, have, you won't have caused any problems. We don't blow buildings up. 
We don't shoot people down who disagree with us. Christianity is different from any religion this world knows. He said, for it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. Whoa, 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 whoa. What did that say? It's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will. Meaning, is it a possibility that we might suffer in this culture for doing good? Yes, it's a very real possibility. Peter would not have written those things to the Christians if he didn't believe suffering was part of the believer's life. Drop down to verse, chapter 4, verse 1. He goes on, he's talking about this idea of suffering as Christians. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, now when I'm talking about suffering, I'm not talking about I got sick and I had to go to the hospital. We're talking about suffering in your neighborhood, in your workplace, in your culture, in your country, in your town, because you believe in Christ Jesus and have made him the Lord of your life. It's a religious thing, if you will. Therefore, since Christ suffered in the flesh, physically, equip yourselves, prepare yourself, also with the same resolve. Because the one who suffered in the flesh, talking about Christ, has finished with sin. In order to live the remaining time in the flesh, no longer for human desires. When you're able to get to that place where you say, God, whatever it takes. For there's already been some time spent in doing what the pagans choose to do. Now he's talking like Peter, like Paul did back in Philippians 3, explaining the values of the culture in which they live. He said, there's plenty of time. We've already spent enough time doing, living that kind of life, haven't we? But there's been a change, and he describes what the pagans choose to do, what the culture that we live in, carrying on in unrestrained behavior, no rules, just right. Evil desires, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and lawless idolatry. So they are surprised when you become a Christian and you've been living in that lifestyle that they live for all these many years, perhaps, Christ comes into your life, becomes your Savior and Lord, and changes you, transforms you from the inside out. Have you ever noticed that the, your friends are all of a sudden surprised? Why don't you do those things anymore with us? How come? They are surprised that you don't plunge with them into the same flood of wild living, and they slander you. They begin to say things about you and call you names and they will give an account, Peter says. They will give an account to the one who stands ready to judge the living and the dead. Now, Peter's saying, listen, church, if Christ suffered, why should we be exempt? He said, in his argument is we should not be. We should be prepared. God's will just might include suffering. If you keep on going, chapter 4, look down with me at verse 19, kind of as he wraps this thought up. He says, so those who suffer according to God's will. Again, let me say that again. You won't hear that from some of the TV preachers that are always talking about prosperity and your best life now. For those who suffer in God's will. You might need to underline that. Those who suffer according to God's will should, while doing what is good, entrust themselves to a faithful creator. And then as Paul did in Philippians 3, he reminds them, he, he told them who they were. 
He says, when your life changes because of Christ and they wonder why you don't continue to do those things, be careful that you don't judge them, those unbelievers, for their lifestyle. That's not our job because he tells us the Lord will take care of that judgment. He will. This whole thought of suffering, maybe even dying for faith in Christ, wasn't original with Paul or any of the other apostles. Jesus talked about it quite a bit in teaching his disciples and equipping them and preparing them for the life that they would live. He gave them, he let them know, here's what you're in for as you take the gospel to the world. He gave them a heads up. He said things like Matthew 13, 21, pressure persecution comes because of my word. Here's what makes the difference. And here's, if you live by this, you can expect pressure and persecution. The words of Christ, the scriptures. Maybe you've had people say to you, well, you don't really believe that stuff, do you? That's a little bit of pressure putting on. Because then you have to say, what kind of answer do I give? Well, you give that ready defense. Because you've been in the word and you believe it. He said in Matthew 24, 9, they will hand you over for persecution and they will kill you. Man, that paints a rosy picture, doesn't it, apostles? You will be hated by all nations because of my name. That's what everybody looks forward to. When I, hey, when I signed up to be a Christian, Jesus gave me a new life. I signed up to be hated by everybody. How about you? I signed, yeah, but man, count me, I'm gonna die? Oh, yeah. Now, we're never to be haters, but we will be hated. And by the way, let me say this, because our culture, we, we have so changed the definition of so many things in our culture these days. If you disagree with somebody, that, that's not synonymous with hating them, just because you disagree. Later in the series, we'll talk about how to respond to what Peter called pagan behaviors, and hate has nothing to do with it. Matthew 5, 43 and 44, Jesus said, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, there's a total reversal of earthly values. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and slander you. Your name is evil because of the Son of Man, Luke chapter 6. Blessed are you. Jesus, when people exclude you and hate you and insult you and slander you, blessed are you. Jesus makes that kind of thing sound like it's a good thing, doesn't he? He does. John 7, 7, the world cannot hate you, but it does hate me because I testify about it. About what? About the world. He says, I tell the truth about what's going on in the world, that its deeds are evil. If you agree with Jesus and what he said, and people hate you because of it, they make fun of you because of that, please realize it's not you that is hated. It's him. It's him. He just tells it like it is, and frankly, the world doesn't want to hear that. If you're going to quote Jesus, by the way, let me say this really plainly as I can. If you're going to quote Jesus, be sure you quote what he said in the word, not what someone says he said. Did you hear that? 
All those are what I might call, all those things that Jesus just said and the apostles said and, and Peter and Philippian, they're all what I might call elephants in the American church. You know, we use the expression, there's an elephant in the room. There's something in the room that we don't want to talk about. Well, these are the things that I call the elephants in the American church. Either we want to think about it, we don't want to think about it, so we ignore it, or we try to explain it away with feel-good, positive thinking, false teaching that God wants us to be prosperous and comfortable in this world. And by the way, if that's what God wants, then God needs to drop down into Syria and into Iraq and into Egypt and places in Africa and China and apologize to those Christians who have suffered atrocities. People who are living in refugee camps because of their faith in Christ, who've lost everything. But ignorance or explaining away doesn't remove the elephant. The reality is that we may be called to suffer. And here's what I call coming up the bull elephant, the big elephant. Peter and Paul didn't make this stuff up that we read in Philippians. He got it from Christ in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 to 37. Jesus summoning the crowd along with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone wants to be my follower, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world yet lose his life? And what can a man give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be also ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Paul said what he encapsulated these words of Jesus, and he said it's being conformed to his death. Well, how did Jesus die? You know the answer. He died being crucified to a cross. Now, Rick, are you saying that in 21st century America, we're all going to die martyrs' deaths? And the answer to that is apparently not. I don't think so. That's never happened before that I'm aware of, that I, every Christian, maybe it's happening in some places in the Middle East and some villages and towns. But the whole world, all the Christians killed? Even in the first century, there were Christians who weren't crucified. There were Christians who weren't thrown to the lions in the Colosseum. They lived out their lives and died pretty much natural deaths. But we don't want to talk about the other. We don't want to talk about the martyrs. We don't want to talk about the cross. And we wonder if this is what the apostles, if this is what Jesus said is, is our, our, our ideal, if this is I'm to, to be conformed to, the, to his death, how am I supposed to get to the place where if that was to happen, if people start hating me, if I get insulted or excluded because of Christ in me, how do I get to the place where I cannot only deal with it, but I can count myself blessed by God when it happens? That's kind of where we left off last Sunday. Back in Philippians 3, if you'll turn back there in your Bibles with me. Paul gives the answer to that. Verse 12 through 17, not that I have already reached the goal. This is after he says, I want to be conformed to his death. 
Not that I've already reached the goal or I'm already fully mature, but I make every effort to take hold of it because I have both been taken hold, I have been taken hold of by Christ Jesus. Brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting which is behind, he's thinking of his past and all the accolades, and so I forget what's behind, I reach forward to what's ahead. I pursue as my goal the prize promised by God's heavenly call in Christ Jesus. Therefore, all who are mature should think this way. And if you think differently about anything, God will reveal this to you. In any case, we should live up to whatever truth we have attained. Verse 17, join in imitating me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. This perhaps greatest of the apostles, perhaps the greatest Christ follower the world has ever known, confesses to the church in Philippi, I'm not fully mature as a Christ follower. I'm not there yet. But he wants to be. And he wants to be so committed to Christ because Christ is so committed to him and he gives us some steps to get to that level of Christian maturity. Let's go through some of those things that he said. Number one, he said, realize there's always another level up. There's always another step up the ladder. There's always another step up the staircase in Christian maturity. Always another step to go. Doesn't matter how old you are, how long you've walked with the Lord, how filled with the Spirit you might be, there's always another step of maturity to go. Everyone starts out spiritually as a baby, and that's what the new birth means. But like our babies who are in the nursery this morning, right behind us here, we don't want to see those children in that nursery in three or four years, do we? No, hopefully they're not there in the crib. Maturity is a progression for everyone. No one is there yet. And Paul says there's no place for pride. If you think you've arrived, if you think I'm spiritually at the peak, you're, not, you're just full of pride. You're not there yet. And nothing is sadder than someone who's professed Christ to, and, and has, says I've been a Christian and maybe for years and maybe for decades who tr- hasn't truly discovered his or her heavenly citizenship in the life it offers. Number two, Paul says don't let your past interfere with your future. Your past might be full of really bad choices and mistakes and sins. If I said, how many of you did that describes your past? A lot of you would raise your, man, if you knew me before, you wouldn't want to know me now kind of a thing. Your past might be full of accomplishments for Christ. You might have done some great things in your life for Jesus Christ. Paul says, okay, so let's move on. That's what he says. In other words, check your baggage at the cross and leave it there. Don't let your past interfere with your future. Number three, God's got a prize for you at the finish line. God's got a prize for you. He sees nothing wrong with a little motivation. If you run the marathon of life, well, God will reward you. 2 Timothy 4, verses 7 and 8, at the end of his life, just before he was to be executed, Paul wrote to Timothy, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. And in the future, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, the reward, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will give me on that day. And not only to me, but to all those who have loved his appearing. God's got a prize for you at the finish line. And Paul says, maturity comes when we act on the truth that we know. 
when we act, do something about the truth that, that we've, that's been given to us as we've been enlightened, if you will. Whether you're new to the faith or whether you're a seasoned believer, the kind, that, the kind of maturity that was evident in Paul is available to you and me if we simply will take the truth as we hear it. Now, this is very important. Take the truth as we hear it and put it into practice. Another way of saying that is if you and I as Christians have no input from God's word, and that's where the truth lies, that's where we discover it, that's the mind from which we dig it. If we have no input from the word of God in our lives, we will have no growth. If those babies are not fed today or tomorrow or the next day, something begins to happen physically. Isn't that right? Same thing is true for you and me. We stop eating, and in a few days, our systems in our body begin to shut down. As a Christian, the same thing is true. No input from the word, no growth. And this is why in Nagset Church, we talk about the big three. Two of the big three are that we expect every NHC partner to, to agree to. They're so necessary if we're going to fulfill his purposes in our, our generation. What are those two that are so necessary? One is consistent attendance at Sunday worship. One is that you be here on Sundays. Why? Well, one reason is, what are you hearing right now? I hope you're hearing the truth from God's word. Hope you're, you're, you're getting some, some scripture that you can now digest and you can begin to act on. And the second of the three is connecting in a small group. Why is that? Because in both of those small groups and worship on Sunday morning, you get a steady diet of Bible. And with that steady diet, you get God's truth. And with God's truth, you can grow. Jesus, brother, James, James 1.22 wrote, but be doers of the word, act on the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. If you just hear it, but you don't do anything about it, you're just fooling yourself. Well, I went to church, I must be doing okay. What did you do with what you heard? I think I'm just gonna start developing a new practice in my life when people come up to me and Maybe everybody will stop doing this after I, when I say this. People come up to me after, after church and say, that was a really great sermon today, Pastor. And my response is going to be, okay, now what are you going to do about it? I know what's going to happen. Nobody's going to come tell me about the sermon. Any, <laughs> but that's okay. I don't do it for your approval. When you hear it, when you read it, the Holy Spirit will use it to produce growth and change Listen, if you surrender your citizenship to him. Number five, we're strengthened by the examples of those ahead of us. How do we grow? How do we mature? We take a look around at those ahead of us on the journey, those up on a higher step in the ladder. You hang out with those who are maturing and maybe a bit ahead of you on the journey. You'll learn from them. And again, that's one of the biggest reasons you need to be in a connection group. Last Sunday was connection group kickoff Sunday. You cannot survive. Let me say that. Let me say it just really plainly. If you don't get connected in a group, Nags Head Church, you're stunting your own growth. You're hurting yourself. First and foremost, you're hurting other people too 
because they don't get to learn from you, but you're hurting yourself. You got to get plugged in. I'm, I'm grateful. I don't know how many Mark Bissell have signed up for Starting Point, but I know there's several. You're starting Starting Point, and that's a group for, for new folks in our church who have not been in groups, but wow, you need to get into a group, and hopefully there's someone in your group. You're in a group, and there's somebody in there that's been walking with the Lord, and you can emulate them, and that's okay. Did you get what Paul said? He said, imitate who? Paul said, imitate me. Just do what I'm doing because I'm growing, just kind of following my footsteps. We need a mentor. We need someone to be an example for us. Do what, you're, do what that person's doing. Adopt his or her attitude toward the things of God and the things of the world. There's a saying about how we live. You've heard this saying before. I've seen people have this on T-shirts and what have you. Saint says, if you can't run with the big dogs, stay on the porch. You heard that? However you need to say it, the world and its system is in rebellion against Almighty God. And if you and I dare to follow Christ, if we dare to claim our citizenship in his kingdom and see it as more important than our lives, and see it as more important than our rights, here on this earth, if we dare to see Christ's life that way and be conformed to his death that way, we'll run with Christ and we'll run with all those who follow him. But you have to count the cost of the citizenship. Jesus said in Luke, he said, whoever does not bear his own cross, whoever does not come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you wanting to build a tower doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Other words, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish it, all the onlookers will begin to make fun of him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. How many Christians, how many do we know, put their faith in Christ, followed him in believer's baptism, and then never matured beyond that? And the world looks at him and says, I thought you were a Christian. You don't look, you don't act, you don't live, think any differently than the rest of us. You're a hypocrite. You have to be willing to be seen as an alien, as a stranger, as someone who really doesn't belong. And to be seen that way takes maturity. And that's why, that's why we're doing this life together. God's desire is to finish in you what he started but you have to be willing, believer, to go the extra mile. You have to be willing to take up your cross. You have to be willing to count the cost of being a citizenship, a citizen of heaven, because that cost might ruin your citizenship in this world. It will. But don't let the onlookers make fun because you claim Jesus is Lord, but won't go all the way with him. Don't. Today, church, Today we need to get off the porch right now. Bow with me in prayer, please. These are hard sayings, Father, that your son gave, that your apostles emulated, that they repeated, Paul and Peter. But we look around the world and we see Christians who have taken this literally have suffered because of it. 
I pray, God, that we would be equipped, that we would be prepared in this culture, in this time, in this century, for whatever may come our way, that we would be prepared to take up the cross and go all the way with you. And if we need to make some changes, Lord, today, if we need to say to you today, here, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to take the step in the right direction. If we need to say, Lord, who is it that I'm going to pick out in my connection group and say, look, would you, can I follow you? That will do so. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God. Love others. Reach the world. 